This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is so nice to see you all back here after that long summer hiatus. We are now back in full swing. We're going to be doing a four-part series on Elul, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. And then, God willing, we'll continue with the Parsha after that. You may have gotten a magnet with our entire series of, of classes for the year. If you do have that magnet, please consult it regularly and make sure to attend, because I do really appreciate seeing all of you here. Thank you all for coming. Please give yourselves a very warm round of applause, and maybe the only one you get today. So, there we go, exactly, okay. So, thank you all for coming. I also all want to thank the amazing staff at Yeshua Bethi Hoda and Partners Detroit for setting up this beautiful lunch and learn and ordering this delicious food. I want to thank the amazing folk over at Torah Anytime. It's an app, it's a website, and it's filled with amazing Torah knowledge. And uh, you will be able to find this class there later if you'd like to refer to a friend or whatever it is. And I want to thank all those who go to Torah Anytime and consume Torah because you guys are holding up the world together uh, by learning Torah. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are now in the month of Elul. Elul is a time to prepare. What exactly is it all about? Everyone makes a big deal of Elul. They said that back in the day in Europe, the people were so, so in tune with the time of the year and how Elul was sort of the beginning, the precursor of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and the Days of Judgment, that in the shuls, when they would announce the Elul month, so on, on Shabbos, before Rosh Chodesh, we have a, something, a, something called Birchus HaChodesh, Shabbos Mevarchim, when we bless the new month coming, and that's when they announce, you know, Rosh Chodesh, Tammuz will be on Monday and Tuesday. Rosh Chodesh, Iyar will be on Thursday. So in Shul, when they would announce, Rosh Chodesh, Elul, Yeh when they would announce that Rosh Chodesh Elul was coming, people would faint in Shul. <laughs> right? They would faint when they would hear just the word, Elul is here! Oh my gosh! Elul is here! And they, would, they took Elul so seriously. Now the funny thing is, if you look in the Torah, you're not going to find the word Elul anywhere. If you look in the Torah, now of course it would, be, it would be called, the Torah doesn't say the word Tishrei either, or Cheshvan, or Kislev. The Torah will call it the first month, or the second month, or the third month. But the Torah doesn't really describe anything about the sixth month. So we're in the sixth month of the year right now, but the Torah doesn't describe anything about it. So who says that Elul is this time that we have to start preparing for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Like, who, who says? I'd like some receipts, please. Show me the money. Show me the trail. Alrighty? So God willing, today I'm going to show you the trail. I'm going to show you the trail, and hopefully we're also going to understand on a deep, mystical level what this time of the year is all about, and hopefully we'll also walk away with tips and strategies, goals and objectives for how to most efficiently capitalize on our month of Elul. Let us begin with source number one. Source number one is going to be Nachmanides. Now, of course, Nachmanides lived in the... 12th and 13th centuries, okay? But he's going to quote here a source that's way... Because we're, we're trying to go back to the earliest source for the month of Elul being significant. Was it talked about in the Torah? No. 
Was it talked about in the uh, Was it talked about in the Nevi'im or the Kesuvim, the prophets or the writings? No. So what's the first source? Now, of course, there is in the Mishnah references to the month of Elul in terms of what those days mean. But in terms of preparation for high holidays, you still don't see it in the Mishnah. However, ladies and gentlemen, Nachmanides, who lives in the 1200s, he is going to quote a Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer, which means the chapters of Rabbi Eliezer, which is attributed to Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus, who was one of the authors of the Mishnah. So Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus lived roughly from the years 80 to 118 of the Common Era. So he lived about 1900 years ago, almost to the date, right? 1905 years ago, okay? And he is quoted as talking about Elul in reference to the High Holidays. Let's see source number one. Vira'isi, Bepirke de Rabbi Eliezer, says Nachmanides, and when I was perusing the chapters of Rabbi Eliezer, I saw. He says this, He's talking about what happened after the golden calf. The golden the Torah was given, Moshe goes up for 40 days. He tells the Jews, guys, hold up, I'll be back, right? And he comes back and they're dancing around the mountain with a golden calf, right? At the foot of the mountain. That happened on the 17th of Tammuz. He comes down, he breaks the luchos, he comes down, he meets out justice. He goes back up for 40 days to basically plead because God's like, I'm going <laughs> to wipe these Jews off. We, we just got married. We just got married at, at this mountain. We're still at the country club where we got married and the Jews are already cavorting with other gods. Maybe I picked the wrong woman. Maybe I picked the wrong spouse. I'm, gonna, I'm done with these Jews. I'll start over again. Moshe's like, no, 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 no. Hold on, God. Can, I, can we talk about it? Hashem says, yes, we can talk about it. Moshe goes up to the mountain for 40 days to talk about it. And in that time period, Hashem says, okay, I'm not going to kill the Jewish people. I don't want to have anything to do with them. I'm gonna set, I'll take care of them by proxy. I'll have my attorneys meet with her attorneys. And they'll work out an alimony. Well, I'll take care of them. I'll give them my American Express. I don't care. Let her charge whatever she wants. I just don't want her living in my house. Okay? Have her attorneys call my attorneys. But then Moshe's like, no, no, no. That's not what we want. That's not the relationship we're looking for. So Hashem says, okay, fine. Come back up again. Let's have another round of talks. And at the end of this round of talks, Hashem is going to give us the Luchoshneos, the second set of tablets, and forgive us. When he goes up this last time, what happened? And here is Pirkadir Blazer. shofar Before Moshe went up, they blew the shofar in the camp. Sharei Moshe Alalahar, because Moshe was going up, and the concern was remember what happened last time Moshe came up, and you, can't, you thought he was coming back a little bit late, you thought he died. By the time Moshe came down, you were dancing around a golden calf. We don't want to do that again. So this time, when Moshe went up, they blew a shofar in the camp, saying, don't make that same mistake again. Then they should not stray again after Avodah And here's a key word over here. This is an amazing thing. God was uplifted through that shofar. What a wild concept. Now, God, of course, is ultimate. 
The highest level of God is so perfect in all forms of perfection that there is no up and down for God. But God throughout the Torah uses language to describe His relationship with us, and He uses terms that we can understand. He finds things to be pleasing in, in smell. We bring a carbon, we bring an offering. Hashem says, it's a reach nichol. It smells good to me. I like it. Even though, of course, Hashem doesn't have taste. Hashem doesn't have smell. But these are words that we can understand. But through this shofar, which is warning the Jews, this time, don't make that mistake, Hashem is lifted up. Because when we are conscious of what we're doing, and we're not making mistakes, God is lifted in our minds and our consciousness. Shanemar, and it says, there's actually a verse that describes that Hashem goes up with the shofar. It's a track, it's in Psalms, chapter 47. Allah Elohim Bisrua Hashem Bekol Shofar. Hashem went up with the Teruah Hashem in the sound of the Shofar. And of course, this is a verse that we read in Rosh Hashanah right before we blow the Shofar. That Hashem is uplifted through our Shofar. If the Shofar is there to help us become more aware and more cognizant of what we're doing, when we are better people, God is uplifted. Because there's only room in the world, in your brain actually, there's only room in your brain for a limited amount. Some people are more limited than others, right? There's only room in your brain for a limited amount. So you either have godliness or ungodliness. If the shofar tilts the scales more towards godliness, there's a greater amount of God consciousness in your mind, in everyone's minds, in the world, and God is uplifted, so to speak. And therefore, the rabbis instituted that we should start blowing the shofar on Rosh Chodesh Elul, and every single year, these are the ends of the words of the Sagadic text. The first source that we have, again, the first source that we have that Elul has something to do with reckoning, with repentance, with acting better, is this source, which is Nachmanides, again, quoting the Pirkei de Rebelezer, which is attributed to a Tana of the Mishnah, an author of the Mishnah who lived 1900 years ago, who says that we instituted that we should blow shofar on Rosh Chodesh Elul, it doesn't say here the whole month of Elul, but on Rosh Chodesh Elul we should blow the shofar so that we should begin to have that awareness and not make the same mistake we made the first time Moses went up on the mountain. Now this year, where was I? On Rosh Chodesh Elul. Rosh Chodesh Elul this year found me in Montana. In Whitefish, Montana. On a beautiful, amazing retreat called Heritage Retreats, where Baruch Hashem, we go out and we learn with students, young professionals, college students from all over America. It's an amazing program, and Baruch Hashem, many, many Jews have become more involved, more committed in their religious life and their Jewish identity through this program. And I've had the incredible zechus, the incredible merit of being able to be a lecturer for them for probably about... 15 or 16 years at this point. Yeah, it's been a long time. And I try very hard not to miss. I don't think I've missed a single men's session. There was two times they were going to miss a men's session, and both times it ended up getting canceled. One of them was for COVID. I couldn't make the session. And they're like, you know what? We're going to have, an, we're going to have a pandemic. You're, don't worry. You're not going to have to miss a session. <laughs> Maybe that's why they had the pandemic. I don't know. <laughs> In any case, 
So we were in Whitefish, Montana, and Baruch Hashem, now they just bought a beautiful, beautiful uh, plot of land, 40 acres, and they're in the process of developing a whole conference center over there that in the future, from now on, Heritage, which has moved around throughout my time from Santa Barbara and California, Yosemite, Yellowstone, Zion National Park, Bryce National Park, we, we've been all of Sedona, we've been in so many locations, now we finally found a home in Montana. So on Shabbos, it was a two-day Rosh Chodesh. This year, it was a two-day Rosh Chodesh. First day was Shabbos, second day was Sunday. Now, of course, you don't blow the shofar on Shabbos, and it happens to be you don't blow the shofar on the first day of Rosh Chodesh anyway. But on Shabbos, as we realize it's Rosh Chodesh, everyone's like, does anybody have a shofar? <laughs> and we didn't. We did see some bighorn sheep. <laughs> but they proved awful, awfully elusive for capture. And had we captured them and taken off a horn, we would definitely have the park rangers all over us. One of my buddies once flew a, dr- a drone in a national park, and it ended up costing him over $1,000 in fees and, and fines. I mean, it just like, the park rangers do not mess around. Park rangers take their jobs very, very seriously. Anyway, so had we taken off a horn off a bighorn sheep, it would not have been good. But they looked like a beautiful chauffeur. Like we saw that. Most people look at a bighorn sheep like, wow, that's a cool sheep. We look at a bighorn sheep like, that's a nice chauffeur. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> So we're sitting there, and we're all kind of torn up because we go to davening the first day of Elul, and there's no shofar. It would so happen that we're in the middle of taking a hike. Beautiful, beautiful hike to this place called Avalanche Lake. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And we're on our way back, and we bump into two girls. Teenage, uh, not probably young professionals, I don't know, 20-year-old girls who are hiking on their own. Chabad. Hmm. And I don't know how it came up, but it came up that we didn't have a chauffeur. And of course, they had a chauffeur. <laughs> and there we go. They're in the parking lot of Logan's Pass in Glacier National Park at an elevation of 9,000 feet with people all around from all over the world. The girls bring over the chauffeur. Everyone piles out of the vans. And I just haul on that chauffeur to Kia, Shavarim, Tarua, to Kia, Gedola. And it was beautiful. Okay, so that was the first day of, that's Rosh Chodesh El. That's Nachmanides quoting, again, Pirkei Deir 1,900 years old, that source. However, as we get closer, there's more sources. If you go to the Baal HaTurim, the Baal HaTurim was written by the wonderful Rabbi Yaakov ben Usher. Okay? The Rabbi Yaakov ben Usher, his father was, Rabbeinu Usher was the Rush. He's known as the Rush. This is Rabbeinu Yaakov ben Usher. He writes a commentary called the Baal HaTurim. He also was the one who wrote the first version of the Jewish Code of Law. The Jewish Code of Law, known as the Shulchan Aruch, the set table, it was based on a previous thing called the Arbaturim, the, the four pillars, and it's four pillars of Jewish law. It was written by the son of the Rush. His name was Rabbi, he also wrote a commentary on the Torah. His name was Rabbi Yaakov ben Usher. He writes the following, and he lived, um, he lived after Nachmanides. He writes, if you look at source number two, it's a it's a quoting a pasuk in in a verse in Deuteronomy in Devarim, Parak Lamid Pasuk Vav. It says, Umal Hashem Elokecha es Levavcha ves Levav Zarecha. And Hashem will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. Now I was at a circumcision this morning. I don't know if I really want, based on what I saw this morning, I don't know if I want my heart circumcised. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> hey, let's keep it a little friendly over here. Um, what does it mean to circumcise your heart? Obviously, it's not a physical heart. No one's taking it up, opening up. Ospreets, Kodesh, Baragata, Alamila, you know, cutting your heart. That's not what goes on. We often have emotional blocks. 
we often have intense emotional blocks that are stopping us from doing what we want to do, from being who we want to be. And Hashem says to us, if you reach out to me, I will circumcise those blocks. I'll cut away those blockages and I'll free up your heart to be able to soar. I'll free up your heart that you should be all those emotional blocks, those things that are holding you back, the narratives you've created in your mind, the stories you tell yourself. I'll let, I'm going to cut away all of that so that you can rush into being who you want to be. Says the Baaturim, it, if you look at the words Eslavavcha Veslavav, Zarecha, those words Eslavavcha Veslavav, the acronym that the first letter spill out is Aleph, Lamed, Vav, Lamed. Rashi Tevos, Elul. It shows that it's the acronym of Elul. Says the Balaturim, Lachain, Nagu, Lahashkim, Ulus, Palos, Lichos, Mirosh, Chodesh, Elul, the Elach. Therefore, says the Balaturim, we have a custom to wake up from Rosh Chodesh Elul all the way forward to say Slichos. Now, of course, we don't do that. You know why? Because we're not Sephardic. Guess who does that? The Sephardim. And it is beautiful. I, lo- I learned with a young man. His name is Dr. Joe Rufa. A real, real special, special guy. He used to go to... He, he, was, uh, he was doing his residency here in the DMC, in the hospital in Sinai Grace, where my wife and uh, my sister-in-law used to work. My wife still works there. And... She, uh, my sister-in-law happened to bump into this guy, Dr. Joe Rufa, a resident, and they got to talking. And he mentioned, he said, you know, I've been watching this guy on Torah anytime. His name is Rabbi Levy Burnham. I believe he lives here in Detroit. Do you know him? And she says, that's my brother-in-law. So we started studying together, and even though now he already finished his residency and he's living in L.A. and he's practicing, we still study every Wednesday together. He's an amazing, amazing individual. His mom is growing beautifully, beautifully in his Torah. He's a, he's a hero of mine, a real hero of mine. He is Sephardic. And he already, already now, every single... When I text him what time we're going to be learning on Tuesday, he says, Rabbi, I got Silichot. <laughs> they don't miss it. Silichot is so beautiful in the Sephardic community. There's so much singing, and they sing it together. You know, there's the, the famous Anyway, it's, they sing it beautifully. It's like a lot of a lot of beautiful singing, and the Sephardim they love it. They're looking forward for El. You get up early in the morning, and we go to Slichos, and we sing together in Shul, and we get our hearts ready for Rosh Hashanah. That's the Sephardim. We Ashkenazim, we take a different approach, and that's because the Jewish code of law brings that down. You can see the Jewish code of law in source number three. Nohagim lakum ba'ashmores. Okay, now remember, the Jewish code of law was written by two people at the same time. One of them was an incredible Sephardic rabbi named Rabbi Yosef Karo, who lived in Safat. And one of them was an incredible Ashkenazic rabbi, the Rav Moshe Israelis, who lived in the city of Krakow. And I actually was on a trip to... Krakow with a young man who was a great, 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 great grandson of Rav Moshe Israelis. It was pretty wild. Like, we were in the Ramaz show. The Ramaz, one of the major authors of the Jewish Code of Law. And we're there with a young man who is a direct descendant of the Ramah, who studied in that show 500 years earlier and wrote the Jewish Code of Law. Interestingly, we also had a girl with us on that trip from Toronto whose last name was Alfasi. And she was a direct descendant of the Rif. Remember what I said earlier, the Balaturim was the son of the Rush, and he wrote the earlier version of the Jewish Code of Law. How did he write it? 
There was a lot of disputes at that time amongst various rabbis. So he took three of the leading rabbis. He took his father, the Rush. He took Rav Yitzchak Alfasi, the Rif. And he took the Rambam, Maimonides. And he said, anytime there's a debate about what the Jewish law is, I'll go wherever the majority lies. Okay? So we're in this synagogue. One of the people is Rav Moshe Israelis, his great-great-great-grandson. And another person was a great-great-great-great-granddaughter of Rav Yitzchak Alfasi, who's one of the three main drivers of the Jewish Code of Law, the original version. It was pretty wild. Anyway, the way they wrote it, they both were writing the same Jewish Code of Law, but they didn't want there to be two different Torahs for the Jewish people. They didn't want, God forbid, we should have one Shulchan Aruch for the Sephardic Jews and one Shulchan Aruch for the Ashkenazic Jews. So if Moshe Isla said, no problem, we'll put my thing on ice, the only thing I request is that when there, whenever there's a difference of opinion between Sephardim and Ashkenazim, allow me to put in my comments, my gloss. And indeed, that's the way the Shulchan Aruch is written. The majority of the Shulchan Aruch is written by Rav Yosef Karo, the Sephardic rabbi. Whenever there's a dispute, it will say, Haga, however. Um, and then the custom will talk about the Ashkenazic halacha. Okay, so here's an example. Classic example. Source number three. We have the custom to get up early to say prayers of forgiveness from Rosh Chodesh El until Yom Kippur. Haga, says the Ramah, hold up. <laughs> Ashkenaz ain't okay. The, the custom of the people who are Ashkenazic Jewry is not like that. We start blowing the shofar from Rosh Chodesh and on. After Shachris, we don't start saying Slichos until about a week before Rosh Hashanah. Okay. But we do blow the shofar. So now we're getting, we're getting to get some more sources. We've got some sources here. We've got some serious sources. So we know we're supposed to blow shofar during the month of Elul, all month long, every single day after davening, we blow the shofar. We know that the Sephardim say salichos, but what should the overall feeling be during this time of year? We've got a source for that too. It's a source from a great rabbi named Rabbeinu Yonah, Rabbeinu Yonah of Garandi. He has a book called Sefer Hayira, the Book of Awe. And he writes there, in paragraph 3, source number 4, he says, From the time that El comes in until the ending of Yom Kippur, until Matzah Yom Kippur, A person should be trembling and anxious and fearful from the, from the fear of the judgment. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, that's your job. From the beginning of El until Yom Kippur, please be fearful and anxious. Sounds like a plan. You guys want that? No, not so much. No one wants fearful and anxious. Come on, yes, this generation. Yeah, they just want it easy. No one wants to be fearful and anxious. Okay. I'm trying to be fearful and anxious over here, but let me give you guys a little bit of a a good way to understand the idea of being fearful and anxious that makes it a lot more palatable. Because just here, guys, let's spend 40 days being fearful and anxious. I'd rather go to the other spa. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay. <laughs> let's try to understand. In American tax law, there are two forms that you can give someone doing work for you. One of them is called a W-2. The other is called a 1099. Okay? Raise your hand if you ever got a 1099. <laughs> Raise your hand if you ever got a W-2. Okay, me too. Alrighty, I got both. 
So, I got all kinds of receipts. Okay. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you are required by law, your employer is required by law to send you those documents, W-2s or 1099s, by the end of January. By January 31st, your employer is required to get you those documents. Okay? Now, let's say you made $50,000 this year. And you get a W-2 for $50,000. Or you get, made $50,000 this year. And you get a 1099. Which one would you rather have on January 31st? A W-2 or a 1099? Huh? It depends on deductions and a lot of other things. It depends on deductions and a lot of other things. That's true. We're going to have a room full of Jews over here. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay. <laughs> I agree with you. Overall, though, and it depends what the, you want a W-2. Because a W-2 means all your taxes were already taken by your employer. And that's really good news, because if you made 50000 once you start adding your standard deductions, you're probably getting going to standard, you're probably getting a refund, Correct. right? Your employer paid taxes, took your money out of your salary throughout the year, made sure that your money was being deducted, made sure to send that money to the federal government, to the state government, and now you file your tax returns. All the taxes have already been taken once you start adding in all your deductions, and boom, you get a big refund check, so you can't wait. Those people usually end up filing their taxes on like February 5th and 6th because they're waiting for a payout from the government. Then there's the 1099 people. 1099 is what you get when you are a contractor, which means that your employer did not take out any taxes, which means that you now owe all the taxes, including double on, you, you play your, your self-employment taxes. So on certain wages that normally would be split between your employer and the employee, you got to pay both. You made 50 grand. How much taxes did you pay? You didn't pay anything. You may have paid quarterlies if you had this in previous years, but you right now are facing a big tax bill, and maybe you don't have the money. Because maybe you, like the guy with the W-2, you spent the money that came in. And now you're like, uh-oh. The good news is there's a grace period. There's a grace period from February 1 until April 15 when you've got to file your taxes. And during that time, you better find a way to come up with some cash. Right? Okay. So that is how the U.S. tax system works. Let's talk about the Jewish system. We are all employees of this incredible organization, company called World Incorporated. God says, I'm hiring all of you. <laughs> you are all hired. You know how you know you're hired? You're here. And you're alive. Okay? If you're alive and you're here, you've been hired. You know what happens when people get fired? They get shelved. Right? That's, that's, <laughs> that's a you've been fired. <laughs> okay? Alrighty. So if you're here, you've been hired. God says, I'm going to give you a salary. It's going to be, I'm going to give you food and clothing and a house. I'll give you a car. I mean, God is an incredibly, incredibly generous employer. He gives you pretty much everything you have, okay? So he gives you food, clothing, shelter, heat, air conditioning, cars, everything. And what does he ask in return? What's your job? Produce light. Bring spiritual light into the world. How do you produce light? By being kind, by being loving, by being honest, by being thoughtful, by being compassionate, by being disciplined, by being sanctified, by praying, 
by giving charity, by calling up people and checking on them. There's a million ways. You could, you could bring light any way. Different people in different divisions bring light in different ways. You have a farmer. That farmer, if he does it with the right intentions, is bringing incredible light. He's helping to feed the world. He's part of the food service division. You know, if you go to the hospital, every part of the hospital, different people wear different color scrubs. You know, if you're part of environmental, you wear the purple scrubs. And if you're part of the food service, you wear the green scrubs. And if you're part of the, and the nurses, wear the blue. And the doctor, and so on and so forth, right? Different color scrubs. So we're all, in this world, we have different roles. We have different positions, right? As a rabbi, I'm probably in sales. Sales and marketing. <laughs> 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 I am the uh, I'm the timeshare salesman <laughs> trying to convince you to buy a timeshare and forever vacations in the next world of bliss and joy <laughs> anyway so people have different roles in this world but everyone has the same job produce light in some form or other and we've gotten paid our salary throughout the year how do I know we got paid our salary the whole year so far because we're here and part of that salary is life itself. Now, did we get 1099 this year or did we get W-2 this year? Did you pay all your taxes? If you paid all your taxes, if you never spoke negatively about other people, if you never ignored the gifts that God gave you by always thanking Him, saying please and thank you before the gifts, you get a meal. We say please and thank you. It's called a bracha. Before we eat the meal, before we put a delicious nectarine into our mouth, we say, Baruch Hashem Priya That's how we say, please. And when we finish that, that delicious nectarine, we say, Baruch Hashem Please don't say it that fast, say it slowly. But we say that, that's our way of saying thank you. So if we said, please and thank you to God for all the gifts in our lives, if we thanked Him for everything from the shoes on our feet, to the ability to breathe for the incredible mix of oxygen and nitrogen he provides us with at all times? If we only showed our parents and our rabbis the highest levels of respect, if we elevated our Jewish practice significantly this year from the previous year, if we never said anything that wasn't 100% true, if you've done all that, then you're fine. You are a W-2 employee of this world. Don't worry about Elul. It's okay. You're going to be fine. However, ladies and gentlemen, if mm, this year you were, you kind of, you were a W-2, you took the salary, but the, you didn't take the taxes off right. Maybe you made blessings that sounded like the one I just made over there. Right? Or maybe you didn't even make all the blessings. Maybe you said things that weren't entirely true. Or maybe you said things that were entirely true, but they were entirely hurtful to others. Maybe you didn't appreciate the gifts that God gave you and didn't act according to the recognition of someone who understands they're getting mad gifts from the, the one above. Maybe we didn't call our parents enough or show them enough respect. And if our parents are gone, maybe we didn't go visit they're buried over here maybe we didn't do charity in their honor and their memory things that we could have done even if they're gone to help them in the world to come if that's the case then consider Rosh Chodesh Elul the beginning of Elul as the day that you got your W you got your 1099 it says here's what you made this year 
You made $80,000. Here's what you paid in taxes so far. $4. Start preparing the rest of the taxes, guys, because your due date is going to be Yom Kippur. And you've got 40 days now to get it together. It's a beautiful thing. When it says we should be fearful and anxious during these 40 days, it means you should be thinking about how am I going to get the funds together to make my full payment by Yom Kippur. If you didn't have this time, if you weren't concerned, then you just blow right by this period and Yom Kippur would come and you wouldn't be ready and you wouldn't have yourself prepared. Baruch Hashem. That the shofar starts blowing in the beginning of Elul and telling you, hey, let's get it together. But let's go even a little bit deeper. Hashem says, during this period, I know that some of you have not fully paid your taxes. We're going to have a tax holiday. I'm going to make it easier. If you file your taxes, even if you've maybe dodged some taxes the previous year, you weren't 100% honest, I'm going to let you file your taxes. I'll give you a discount. They won't charge you fees and interest. I'm going to make it a tax holiday. How do we know this? Look at source number 4B. And you may wonder, why don't I just make it source number 5? That's a good question, but not for right now. <laughs> source number 4B. Shulchan Arach, the Jewish Code of Law, Arachayim 581.1. May Rosh Chodesh El Arachre Yom HaKippurim. From Rosh Chodesh El until after Yom Kippur. Heim Yemei Ratzon. These are special days of heavenly will. And even though all year round Hashem accepts repentance from those who return to Him, these days are good and specially set aside for repentance. Because they are days of mercy and days of will. God says, I want you to work out your taxes with me. I'll make it easy for you. Don't worry about the fees. Don't worry about the interest. Don't worry about the filing fees. Don't worry about any of that kind of stuff. Okay? I want to work with you. I want you to be successful. I'm going to give you this grace period from the time you got your W-2, your 1099, until it's tax day, but I'm going to make it really, really easy for you. Now, so far, everything we've spoken about are the more common ideas of understanding Elul and what it means that Elul is a time to prepare. But now let's try to dive a little bit deeper. Are you guys with me? You guys can swim in the deep end of the pool? All right? We're going to go a little mystical. We're going to go a little bit beneath the surface. All righty? And uh, this is a new approach. I'd be happy to hear your comments afterwards. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm very open to that as well. Source number five. There's a famous piece in the Talmud in Tractate Sota, page 2a. It says, Amar Behuda Amar Rav. Behuda says the name of Rav. Arba'im Yom Kodem Yitzir Savlat. Forty days before a child is created. Bas kol yotzes ve'omeris. A heavenly voice calls out and says, Bas ploni leploni. The daughter of so-and-so will marry this child. Base ploni leploni. This house will be the house that so-and-so will live in. Sade ploni leploni. This field will be the field that so-and-so, this child, will end, will end up owning. So before, 40 days before a child is born, we already talk about who they're going to marry, what house they're going to live in, and what their profession is going to be, what field they're going to work in. Now 40, if you're scratching your head, is a pretty common number. We saw that Moses went up for 40 days at a time, the first time to get the luchos, 
40 days to ask for repentance, and 40 days to get the second set of luchos. What other 40s do we have in Judaism? The Jews spent 40 years in the desert. The rain fell for 40 days during the Mabul. And here's another interesting 40. On Yom Kippur, we're going to read the book of Jonah. And the book of Jonah starts off, Vayihi Devar Hashem El Yonah Shenis Lemar. And the word came to God, the word came from God to Jonah again saying, Get up, go to the city of Ninveh, the great city, and proclaim to it this message that I give you. And Vayakam Yonah, sorry, 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 this is, this is, this is in chapter 3. So this is already after he got out of the, out of the whale, right? I don't want to give away the whole thing, but there's a, whatever, there's a whale situation, and it works out, okay? Okay? It works out. I'm not going to say any more details. After the whale, now Jonah, God's like, all right, now you ready to play serious? Here we go. Let me try again. Jonah, go to the city of Nineveh and make the following proclamation. And Jonah does go up to the city of Nineveh, and he makes the proclamation, and he says, And Jonah, the city was so big, he journeyed one day into the city, and he called out, Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned and utterly destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah. Of course, we know that the people of Nineveh ended up changing their ways and repenting, and the city was spared. Forty days. We see forty again and again and again. What is 40 days? 40 days from a mystical perspective represents gestation. It represents the time it takes for something to come to itself and to come to its full fruition. The Jews wandered for 40 years in the desert before they could be birthed out into the land of Israel. Moses went up for 40 days on the mountain to receive the Torah. For 40 days he prepared for the world to be rebirthed into this new era of the post-Torah world. There was a flood because the world had become so decrepit and immoral that God had to wipe out the world and restart. How long was the flood coming down? 40 days and 40 nights. The number 40 always has to do with rebirth, gestation. How many weeks does a woman carry a child before the baby is born? 40 weeks. Fascinatingly, 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 we have 40 days from Rosh Chodesh Elul until Yom Kippur to prepare ourselves to be a new person. How does repentance work? You know, there's a famous verse. If you look in source number 7, it's from Isaiah. Hashem says, I'll just read the English because I'm a little short on time. Wash, cleanse yourselves, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, strengthen the rob, perform justice for the orphan, plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us debate, says the Lord. If your sins prove to be like crimson, they will become white as snow. If they prove to be as red as crimson dye, they shall become as white as wool. Hashem describes the process of repentance as your sins going from red to white. How does that work? I killed somebody. I can't bring that person back. I was on a trip with a bunch of friends and I shot out a zinger 
about a friend of mine and utterly crushed him. And even if, if he forgives me, which is nice of him, he's still suffering from that. He still feels himself as lower. He's still embarrassed to be around those people because of that thing that I said. Maybe I revealed a secret about him that other people didn't know. And they look at him differently now. What are the, how does repentance work? I, 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 I served... Let's say, for example, I led people astray. I told people, I made fun of religion. I actively told other people, yeah, religion is just a crutch for all the weak people. They need a crutch. They believe in all kinds of weird fairy tales. Let's say I was one of those people. And now I say, I'm sorry, God. And God's like, okay, I'm going to wipe it clean. How does that work? Those people are still around. And they're still maybe sinning. And I can try to bring them back, but I may not have the time. And I may not have the ability what does it mean? How does, how does repentance work? Tells us Maimonides in source number 8. In Hilchos Teshuva, Perak Beis, Halacha Dalad, Laws of Teshuva 2.4. From the ways of the Teshuva is that the penitent cries out continually before God with cries and supplication, and does charity according to his ability, and stays far from the things with which he sinned and changes his name... As if to say, Kolomar, Ani Acher, I am somebody else. Ve'eni oso isha oso oso amaisim. I'm not the person who did those things. Those things can't be fixed. I killed somebody. I hurt somebody so badly. I led people astray. I can't fix it. You know what I can do? Change myself. Become a different human being. That is what teshuva means. Teshuva, how does it go from being red to being white? The answer is, the red is still there. It's just not mine anymore because I am a different person. But how long does it take to create a person? Forty. Forty is always gestation. We have forty days. This incredible gift from Rosh Hashanah, from Rosh Chodesh Elul, from the beginning of Elul until... Yom Kippur, for us to gestate and create a new you. That's what this period is about. It's about creating a new you. How do we do that? How do we do that? How do I become a new person? So I want to suggest the following. Let's go back. And by the oh wait, I wanted to say another amazing idea. This is crazy. If you remember, we said before from the Jewish code of law in source number in source number four B, right? We said Mikol Yomuk. We said any time of year you could do repentance, but this time of year Mikol Mukam Yom last line. These days between Rosh Chodesh Elul and Yom, and Yom Kippur are better. They are days of mercy. The word Rachamim means mercy. Does anybody know what the word for womb is in Hebrew? Womb. Womb. With a B at the end. <laughs> womb. The word for womb is Rechem. 
Rechem. Rachamim means mercy. Rechem means a womb. What does it mean? The way Hashem gives us mercy, He says, I'll create a womb for you, and you can gestate a new personhood in that room, in that womb. I'll give you a protected place. A womb is a very protected, beautiful place for a baby, where it's nurturing itself and growing and growing. Hashem says, I'm going to create a Yemei Rachamim. I'll create times of mercy and compassion, a womb for you to create a new you. It will be this beautiful bubble called Rosh Chodesh Elul until Yom Kippur for you to create a new you. But how do you create a new you? Well, let's see. The 40 days before a child is born, they call out and they say, this is who you're going to marry, this is where you're going to live, and this is what you're going to do. So maybe these are the things that we need to work on if we want to be able to create a new you. We need to work on our relationships. If we are married, right? It says, it says bas ploni le ploni. If we're married, we need to work on our, our relationships with our spouse. If we're not married, we need to work on our relationships with our friends, with our people, with our family members. Which is very interesting because weirdly, there's another... When, when the sages tell us all the different places where you find the acronym Elul, Another one of them is in Megillus Esther. Okay, in Megillus Esther, in the book of Esther, Purim. It says over there that when they finally experience the joys and the glory of Purim and salvation, it says in verse number 22 that they proclaim that every year we should make Purim. Like the days that the Jews were able to... um, find repose from their enemies. And the month that changed from sorrow to joy, and from mourning to holiday, to make them days of joy and feasting, and if you look at the source sheets in the Hebrew, I pointed out, spells out Elul. How did that get here? Aren't we talking about Purim? The answer is, one of the major roles of Elul is to strengthen our relationships between our fellow man. Ish l'reihu umatanos le'evyonim. Being focused on our peers and giving gifts to those who don't have. Now those who don't have does not mean somebody who's financially struggling. Those who can, there, there are so many different forms of poverty, but there's a form of poverty that is rampant right now. And that is just the people who are lacking kind words, lacking encouragement, lacking compliments. Human beings thrive, thrive on compliments. It's like water to, to a flower. You know, you have flowers, it gets hot in August, and the flowers are starting to droop, and then suddenly the rain comes out. And the flowers are up, and they're peaked, and they're bright, and they're colorful again. So many people today can go days without getting a compliment. That's why I start off every class by saying, you guys, at the end I say, you're all awesome. In the beginning, I thank you. I know, you may, I'm joking, but I'm also not joking. Like, you may not get a round of applause any other time than today. A lot of, there's a, there's a big lack of compliments. And that's something we can mishloach manos ish send a gift to your friend umatanos sorry umatanos levyonim send gifts to people who don't have you can't give a gift of money to someone who has money but gifts of compliments you look great today 
Oh, I love how you do your hair. Is that a new pair of sneakers? You know? (laughs) Whatever works. (laughs) Whatever works. I heard your kid did this. I did everything. Whatever it is, just to say nice things to people. It's so nice to see you. I love, you know, how are you doing? I'm doing great. You know why? Because I'm here and seeing you today. It doesn't cost anything to be that guy. And when you do that, you're giving gifts all day long. So number one, we have to work through our relationships with those that we are close with. Number one. Number two, bias, plony, plony. Again, what do we work on when we try to create a new person? A new person, when he's created, three things are called out. Who they'll have a relationship with, what their home is going to be, and what their field is going to be. So let's talk about what our home is. Is our home truly a Torah home? What does a Torah home mean? Oh, it means so much. It means so much. Obviously, there's the good things that we do in the home. But are we... Here's a simple one. You want to make your home more of a Torah home? Put a, a stucca box down on your table and give charity at your dinner table. It's that easy. Right? Little, simple life hack. You want your home to be more of a Torah home? Leave a charity box on your table. And when you sit down for dinner, drop a quarter. It's that easy. Every meal. Here's another one. Say Edvar Torah at the table. You're sitting down for dinner. Right? Say something nice that you heard in the class today with Rabbi Burnham. (laughs) 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 Invite people to your home. Not just that new family that just moved in. Everyone wants to get to learn about them and know about them. But the people who don't necessarily have where to eat or don't have who to eat with. Our homes, you know, there used to be this thing, um, I think it was like in March of 2020, it was this thing called COVID-19, some of you may have heard of it. It was, uh, I don't know, it was some kind of thing that came from a wet market with pangolins. I love how, by the way, in the beginning, the Chinese knew right away that it came from the Wuhan lab, right? You have a lab in the city of Wuhan that's studying coronaviruses, and suddenly a coronavirus leaks out to the whole world from Wuhan. I'm wondering how that could have happened. No, we're not really sure. We think it happened with a wet market and a pangolin. No one in the world knows what a wet market is. No one knows what a pangolin is. But you use words to confuse people. In any case, there was this coronavirus thing that came out and swept across the world. And if you remember in the early days, people were wiping down everything that came into their house. I remember, even in my house, you couldn't get Clorox wipes. Remember that? You could not get Clorox wipes. And there was all kinds of Make it yourself. Do DIY kits of how you can make cleansing agents. And people were literally, you got groceries dropped off at your front door and you were sitting there, you know, wiping down the bags, wiping down. You guys remember that? We were so careful about what came into our home. Are we still so careful about what comes into our home? Are we careful about what kind of books our children and grandchildren are reading? Are we careful about everything that's coming in, there's so much, so much out there that could be so negative and so hurtful to us, to our, to our spouses, to our children. A Torah home, A, has all the positives. All the mitzvahs are resounding in it. The joy of God, the prayer, the singing. But also, keeping out of the negative. And lastly, the third thing they talk about when they say what you are going to be is field 
such and such will be for so and so. That's your occupation. Do you conduct your business honestly? Do you pay your employees fairly and on time? Do you advertise falsely? Do you, if you're an employee, do you use company time for personal things? That's a huge one. Now, they have a phrase now called quiet quitting. You ever heard this phrase before? It's called quiet quitting. What is quiet quitting? When people are at work and they just don't do their jobs. And there's like a noble term for that. They're, they're, they're so fed up with the system, they're quietly quitting. You know what they're doing? They're quietly stealing. There's no such thing as quietly quitting. If you want to quit, you come into your boss and say, don't pay me anymore because I'm not doing any work. But no, no, no. These people are stealing. They're collecting paychecks and not doing their work. And they have a noble phrase for it. Because the year 2022 was the year of the quiet quitting. We had a phrase for that when I was growing up. It was called thievery. <laughs> Insane. So when a person wants to recreate themselves, they've got to recreate themselves in all these areas. In the relationships that you... Because again, when you are created, they call out who your relationships are going to be with and what they're going to look like, who you're, where you're going to live, and what you're going to do. So we need to look at our relationships during this month and say, what can we do to strengthen these relationships? Strengthen, strengthen the relationships. If I have a sibling that I'm not talking to, maybe it's time for me to reach out to them and bury that hatchet once and for all. It's time for us to focus on our home. What does our home look like? Does our home look like a home that is a vibrant Torah home? And lastly, the field that we're in is being conducted with absolute integrity on all fronts. And if we start working on creating a new us, then God willing, these 40 days that we have, this incredible gift, that yes, we are supposed to be concerned and fearful, because we do know there's a tax bill coming at the end, and we know that we didn't pay our taxes the whole year. We 1099'd it. But if we do it right, these are days of rachamim. These are days of gestation. This is a time of a rechem. Hashem says, I'm going to have such compassion, I'm going to create a whole new womb where you can build and grow yourself in this protected environment. And there'll be tax breaks, and there'll be all kinds of incentives. Just become a new person. And God says we can wipe everything clean, and you can come out on Yom Kippur clean and white like an angel. Thank you all very much for coming. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being awesome. Thank you for being good looking. Thank you for being wise. Thank you for being charismatic. Alrighty. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.